The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. He's a best-selling author. He's a radio host. He's a mental health advocate. John, I was thinking about this, and I've come up with a lot of great ideas in the past. Holly is not a big advocate of my ideas, but I want you to... I listen to you. I love your thoughts. Sometimes I need you just like right in my pocket, like a mini you. So I was thinking about like creating a mini Deloney homie. I th- <laughs> listen, I think that'd be incredible. Okay. Um, my wife would tell you that that would be a disaster. Um, <laughs> okay. That having me around all the time, in her words, you're a lot. So I, it might be cool for a minute, but yeah. um, I'm pretty, I just have opinions on everything and very few of them are backed up by any sort of reality. And so it might be fun, but yeah, it'd probably get you in yeah. trouble. That's, no, but that's my life. That's how I live. I'm just, I, I throw things out and hope that it sticks. Excellent. It, I'll throw it back at you. That'd be fun. It rarely does. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler. Not very, not very sticky. Uh, Dr. John Deloney, my friend, how are you? I'm awesome. How are you guys? We're good. Thank you for saying yes to being on our podcast. Oh, man, I'm super jazzed. It's awesome. I appreciate your hospitality. Oh, well, um, we like to ask this skill testing question because we never know where it's going to go. John, who are you and where did you come from? Oh, man. Um, I'm John and I'm married. I got two rad kids and some dogs and a bunch of chickens. And I live out in the woods in Nashville, Tennessee. And I was born and raised in Houston, Texas. I spent all my life in Texas. So I moved out here and I'm the son of a homicide detective, SWAT mm-hmm. hostage negotiator slash quit that one weekend and became a minister. And my mom was uh, not allowed to go to college uh, because of how she grew up. And then she took her first community college class at the age of 42. Amazing. And then she graduated with her PhD at 57. And then she became a tenured professor at 63. And then in her seventies, this, this past summer was her last year teaching in Oxford. So um, mm-hmm. overseas. So I, I am just the beneficiary of two rad, rad parents. And now I am, as my 13 year old says, Dad, you're just a YouTuber now. So that that's what we're doing now. <laughs> you're you're just a YouTuber. Dude, he clowns me, man. He's oh, like, man. You're, you're just not that cool. But how do your parents feel about it? Because I mean, your dad was like special ops. Like that yeah, seemed he was, pretty intense. He was kind of a gangster. I think he thinks I'm running some sort of scam, and he doesn't <laughs> want to ask too many questions. Perfect. And we, and we are all of us who podcast for a living. We're <laughs> we're yeah. we're flying off radar until we get finally get caught. But um, and then my mom. She just, I think she is the vast majority. I think, she, I think one day when she dies, I'm going to find a warehouse full of all the books I've written. And I think she just mm. buys them. And uh, so it'll make me feel like I'm, I'm doing something special. You are loved. You are loved. Yes, they're rad. They're rad. Amazing. So when you were younger and your parents have these, you know, very different paths, your mom's at home, your dad's doing some wild and crazy stuff. He transitions to ministry. How does that impact your family? Was it better? Was it worse? Because now you're a PK. The first time I walked into my therapist and said, hey, listen, my dad was a cop and then a minister. She smiled and she was like, yes, like I'm going to I'm going to give I'm going to buy her a lake house. I'm, I'm a long term client. There you um, go. Here's the thing. I, I think if I step back and I can take a 30,000 foot view. Yeah, my family life changed dramatically. Um, it went from, you know, dad, you know, wearing a bulletproof vest every day to living in a glass house. All that stuff is part of it. Mm. But I think the big meta that I took away that's really paid dividends in my personal life has been your job, the thing you clock in every day and do is divorced from your purpose, your mission, what you do as a human. So my dad, um, 
I learned at an early age when things are on fire, when things aren't going well, you go in, you head right into the middle of it because that's where you're going to be able to serve and help people. And by the way, it's probably going to get you killed. The mm. goal here isn't to make everything comfortable for you. The the goal is to be somebody who's a, uh, who serves their community. And so I saw my dad do that as a policeman and they took off his bulletproof vest and then he was in hospitals 24 seven, 365 sitting with people who are hurting and helping kids navigate the legal system and helping kids who are struggling with addiction. The person he was, was the same. It was just a different, a different shirt. Right. And so I think as I transitioned from 20 years as a professor and a dean of students at universities across the country to a YouTuber, my role in life is still the same. I want to sit with hurting people and help them figure out what comes next. And so that I, I took that meta, but yeah, I mean, Growing up as a, as a as a minister's kid, that's that's a tough road, man. Yeah. So faith was always big a part of your guys' life, or was him going from cop to minister uh, a straight left turn? No, it was always a big deal. Um, it was always it was always a big deal, and he gave me a gift that I didn't realize. I only am realizing what kind of investment it was when he mm-hmm. took the job as as a minister. I remember him. I was a young kid, and so I didn't get it at the time, but I remember him saying, "I am now." your dad and your pastor, and you're not going to be able to hear me. So two important things. It is your responsibility to find men that you can trust and be open with. And number two, if you can't find God here in this building that employs your dad, great. Anywhere in our community, go somewhere. But I just want you to make sure that faith is an important part of your life. And I didn't realize now that may have cost him his job. If suddenly your son starts going to another church down the road, yeah. um, but those two things are very important. You got to find mentors. And now that I'm, I'm a professional mentor, you're my son. It's you're not gonna be able to hear me and go find God somewhere. I don't care what, I don't care what building it is. Go find him somewhere. And so I, rem- those two lessons have been really important as I've gotten older. Wow. That is so wise. I've truly never thought of that as, you know, a parent myself, my daughter's entering the tweens, which mm-hmm. is terrifying. Yeah, um, big time. And yeah, they don't hear you. Yeah. You could say anything, and it's just like, "Thanks, mom." All they hear is like the Charlie Brown. Exactly. <laughs> hey, one time, uh, the coolest thing about being an old man now, and I'm not really old, but I feel like I'm old man. <laughs> um, and going back to grad school as an old man was I had to do a practicum again, and part of my practicum was with a, this brilliant man named. Dr. Michael Gomez, he was just a savant. But I remember asking him, we were working with abused kids, and one of these kids was saying some wild things about women. And these four or five or six, and I had a young son. My son was really young, and I said, asked Dr. Gomez offline, hey, what are you supposed to say to a little kid so that a young boy so he respects women? And he just smirked and smiled, and he goes, you can say whatever you want. They're not going to listen to you. And then he goes, they're going to watch you. So- if you want your kids to be to honor women, if you want your kids to be people of dignity, if you want people to not your kids to not overreact, then you have to take control of your emotions. You have to tip that waitress when you know she's working really hard. You have to treat the woman at the register with dignity. You have to treat your wife right. And I remember thinking, oh, man, you can talk all, all day long, man, but they're going to watch you. That's what's important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Was wisdom passed down to you naturally or did you just have to pray really hard for it? <laughs> <laughs> I think the thing that was passed down wasn't so much wisdom. I think the thing that was passed down the most was a, there's no such thing as, um, there's not an excuse. You can't say the words. I can't, you can't like, 
watching my mom navigate a system um, that was not designed for her. There, there's no, you, you can't say you're too old. You can't say you don't have enough information. You can't go figure it out. So that was passed down permission. And then the second one was it. Somebody asked me this in an interview the other day and it caught me off guard. They said, Hey, you're always talking about mental health and your career and education. And yet you were always talking about having financial security and being a counselor or being a teacher. Those things don't work in tandem. And I was like, Oh, I grew up with two parents. It never occurred to me that you can't do what you really love and have financial success and security. It never occurred to me. And so I attribute that back to my parents, which is, no, go figure it out. Go figure it out. If you have X amount of dollars that you want to make and you want to serve and love people, figure that out and be do do right by people. And so I, I guess I was just given a – it never occurred to me that heading off into the woods that I wasn't going to figure it out. And that's 100% a privilege that I got from my parents. Hmm. When I was in high school, I did this test. And what were you going to be when you grew up? And they knew that I was not going to be a doctor. Uh, radio was probably going to be one of those things you you have what two three 17 phds and you're doing radio and tv like dude you could have avoided what holly and i unfortunately jumped into why did you go this way yes why it's funny you mentioned that so i didn't have social media when i started i had zero no accounts and um i was my goal in life, starting at about 2012, I was in some some meetings with some tech leaders early on. Um, so folks are on the board at Apple and Google. And I saw where this thing was going. Like, oh, they're going to start taking pictures of us and make maps of us. And they're going to follow. And this is me being super not well, by the way. This wasn't healthy. Um, but I try, I said, I just want to disappear from the internet. I want to not be on the internet. And I want to be the guy behind the guy. So if a family's falling apart, I don't want to be the person they look in the phone book. I want to be the person they call and be like, hey, I got a guy. He'll show up at midnight. He'll sit with y'all till 4 a.m. And then he's going to disappear and nobody will know he's there. That was my goal. And so when this opportunity came up, I remember sitting with my friend now, Dave Ramsey, and he said, hey, in your current job as a dean of students, as people who show up behind closed doors, you help thousands of people. Mm. If you want to help millions, come join this team. And it was the scariest thing possible because it was the opposite of how I'd live my life. It was a hundred percent on the internets and on radio. And so it seemed like the scariest fight to take, the scariest opponent to get in the ring with. And so I said, all right, I'm in on that. The selfish part of me, and this sounds really self-serving. It just looked, things look really bleak back in 2020, 2016, 2017, 2018. It just, everything started feeling dark and cloudy and it was me telling myself, I want at least when this thing burns to the ground, all of it, I want at least look and look my kids in the eye and say, your dad got in the ring and tried. I tried. I didn't just sit on the sidelines and try to hide from everything. And that was kind of the genesis of it. Like, let's just go do something crazy. And it's yeah. turned out pretty wild. Yeah. We kind of failed at hiding. So. Oh, uh, yeah. I'm not great. <laughs> I'm not great at that. Yeah. All those uh, middle school insecurities, they uh, they stick around. They do. Oh, they my don't goodness. go anywhere. <laughs> yeah. No, they don't. Nope. How do you deal with everyone else's mental health challenges being presented to you, whether it's mental health, whether it's financial Mm. challenges? Because let's face it, right now, economically, um, a lot of the challenges are ones that the, I want to say the government is putting on people, but we are living in a very unique season um, of both Canadian and U.S. culture, socioeconomic. So how do you know? I don't know how y'all are getting out of bed every morning, man. Y'all, it's... (laughs) Y'all have got tough sledding. I'm not even playing. Like, I, like my yeah. heart breaks. Um, yeah. I got a room here in Nashville if any of y'all want to come crash. Like, it's we tough sledding, right? It's tough sledding. We might have um, to. 
Um, don't offer if you're not willing. <laughs> Man, it, I mean, it. yeah. Whew. yeah I got I some buddies, in, and it's just tough. Sounds tough. Yeah, I live in the GTA, and so uh, moving from Alberta to Ontario, mm-hmm. you sign your contract, you're like, yeah, we can afford in this area. Within one month, mm-hmm. everything was out of our price range. Right. And it was completely out of our control. We've done all the right things as a family. And yeah. I'm sure you get bombarded by stories like this. Yeah. How do you keep your mental health in check when you are getting bombarded with stories that can really make one feel heavy? Oh, I drink like crazy. I'm just kidding. I don't yeah. do that. Water? Yeah, of course. <laughs> exactly. Um, I think there's a, I mean, the uh, in all honesty, sometimes it gets heavy. Sometimes it does get heavy, the weight of all of it. Um, I think the way I solve that is I have to work really hard. Um, uh, this is probably a bad analogy, but I'll, 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 I'll treat it like this. There's guys that come clean out our sewer system and they're amazing at what they do. And without them, the entire city would stop. And because that job is disgusting, because that job is hard, because that job is sometimes it's freezing and sometimes it's brutally hot. It's all of it. That doesn't mean the job doesn't have to be done. What it means is the people going to do that hard work have to take the precautions upstream. Right. And so because my job is dealing with people when their kids got cancer, when their husband just cheated on them, when they just realized they're broke, because my job is dealing with people, um, sitting with people in the hardest moments, that means I have to pay extra attention to my physical health. That means I have to, I can't skip exercise days. I have to make sure I sleep. I've got to be plugged in with my wife. I got to be plugged in with my kids and my friends. I've got to be plugged into a faith community so that I'm anchored into bedrock and I repel off the side. And I think in our culture, we've, and we've pulled the string on everything. We've just pulled the, the thread on education system. We pulled the thread on medical system. We pulled the thread on government. And I think, honestly, for me, up until COVID, yes, everything was – I could complain about anything. But I thought at the end of the day the government was looking out for us all. Hmm. And I thought the local schools were looking out for us all. And I thought that the medical community was looking out for us all. And I thought my – whenever I read a, a research article, which I spent the last 20 years of my life doing, I thought it was all in good faith. And I think overnight, all the threads on these pillars that held us all up got pulled and it was just, they were all, it was all ghost. And so um, I think all of us are feeling a little bit chaotic. And what that means is we all have gone to, how do I feel right now in this moment? And that's a dangerous place to live. It's not a safe place to live because our feelings aren't designed to tell us the truth or just, our feelings are designed to keep us alive. What we do is we quit our job thinking that that was why we were sad. We quit our relationship because we're like, oh, it was all that. And then we go get a new relationship, we get a new job, we move to a new town, we get to a new house. And then we realize, oh, I went with me and I wasn't okay. And so I, I, instead of trying to hone in on how I feel right in this moment, um, I like to go all the way up river and say, am I doing the things that I need to do so that I can repel off and sit with somebody whose kid's going to be dead by the end of this month? somebody whose wife is on her last, um, you know, her last round of chemo. Can I go do that hard work? So it's got to be done. Um, and so it, it's, it's really human living one-on-one and we've kind of cashed out on that. Um, and it's been me trying to reclaim that top two mental health issues right now in North America, depression and anxiety. Yeah. Um, inside out Two, the movie is set to release in June. They're introducing a, uh, a brand new emotion and anxiety, uh, building a non-anxious life, a book that uh, you had written um, just late last year. How important was it for you to touch on anxiousness and living that non-anxious life? I mean, it's melting everybody. It's 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 the it's the cultural 
It's the pervasive winds of our time, right? It's the air we breathe. It occurred to me if several years ago, reading some in a nerd conference, what if our bodies are right? We keep trying to solve anxiety. We keep trying to solve depression or solve ADHD. What if anxiety is an alarm? And what if it's right? What if it does detect smoke? What does that mean for us as a society? Hmm. And to me, that became a much more, because look, more people right now than ever before in human history are in the care of a licensed mental health professional right now. More people than ever before in human history are taking psychotropic medication for some some quote-unquote um, chemical imbalance in our heads. And the trend line is one, it's a rocket ship directly straight up. And so we have to, as a mental health guy, I had to back up and go, what if our bodies are right? Hmm. What does that mean about the lives we're leading, these things that our government's trying to force on us and tell us, no, this is what you really want. This is best for you. And our bodies are saying, oh, no, we're not safe. We're not safe. We're not safe. Um, what if we looked in the mirror and said, okay, not I'm broken, not there's something wrong with me, but what if I asked, what is my body trying to protect me from? Cause it knows. And that has been a, a, a much more empowering conversation. Wow. I love that. I have a family history of anxiety. So it's mm -hmm. just like our best friend. Hey, this is anxiety yeah, <laughs> for <exactly>. dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But hey, there, there, um, Wendy Suzuki, she's a, a professor out of uh, NYU. She poses that question. What if you sit down at a table with anxiety as a friend? Mm -hmm. What would that friend be telling you? That friend would be telling you, hey, your marriage is not safe. Hey, you owe $400,000 in student loan and mortgage. Or if you're in Toronto, you owe $7 million for your <laughs> for your condo. Oh, right? you do like, know her. Oh, yeah, yes. I know. Um, like, like, you're... If you say one wrong thing at work, you're fired and they yes. take your home from you. They take your food from you. Your kids can't go to school. And listen, if your body let you sleep at night knowing that, it would be failing you. Mm -hmm. If it let you have a deep, connected, sensual, intimate moment with your romantic partner, it would be failing you because it's trying to not die. Right? Because if you say the wrong thing, if you're late one minute, they take it all. And so we've just normalized debt. We've normalized crazy mortgages. We've normalized, um, yeah, that boss just is abusive. Yeah, it just kind of is. We, uh, we've normalized sitting on the couch next to our romantic partner, him on his iPad, her on her iPhone or however you, however it goes. And you're six inches apart and 6,000 miles away from each other. That's just our life. Mm -hmm. And, or like you have, you have a teenager. Teens comes in the house, just slams the door, goes in the room. Like, well, it's just those teens. No, your body knows, hey, that relationship is fractured. Yeah. And it's going to, if it lets you sleep. And so the sleep isn't the problem. The anxiety is not the issue. It's these worlds we've created for ourselves. And then the government, the the but the professionals, those who are supposed to help us say, actually, it's you. You're broken. We'll fix you. Just, yeah. just stand by. We'll send checks. We'll send you the answers. You just wait. And um, our bodies know it's not okay. I don't want to play spoiler, but if there was one tool that maybe somebody was listening today that you could give them, it's not a be all and end all. It's not a spoiler of your book or anything, but is there one thing that maybe somebody could take away from at this moment that you could help them with? Yeah, actually, the beauty of my book is, man, it's not that you get to the end of it and you're like, wow, yeah. Oh, that's really simple, right? It's, <laughs> it's, it's like getting to the end of a, of a book about like weight loss and you're like, uh, oh, exercise and, and, and diet. Okay. Uh, yeah. thanks for that. Right. Mm. Um, if I could just give you two, I think the two right. big ones are choosing reality. Um, we call it the attention economy. We live in the distraction economy. 
the whole thing is set up to look over here, look over here while the government does what it's going to do, while the tech guys do what they're going to do, while education does what they're going to do. And so I think it is simply deciding I'm going to unplug from the matrix and actually ask myself, what is the state of my finances? I'm going to write down who do I owe money to? I'm going to put it all in one piece of paper. How bad is it? Or how good is it? What is the state of my marriage? What's the state of my physical health? Like I've got to choose reality. And the second one is we've created accidentally, nobody did this on purpose. We've created the loneliest generation in human history ever. Mm. And we are connected like all get out and we are dying of loneliness. I heard one researcher say we are, we are Netflixing ourselves to death. Mm. And so I would suggest that people put their freaking phones down and begin going back to church, going back to bars. This isn't as much a religious thing. I've got a whole other conversation about that, but you have to start being uncomfortable and putting yourself back in proximity with other people because on the other side of that, your body can finally go, whew, I don't have to take care of the food and the safety and the security and the parenting and the getting resources because our bodies weren't designed to do that. We're designed to live in tribes. And so those two things, choose reality and choose the awkwardness that is human connection because on the other end, your body goes, "Ah," and it's going to turn the alarms down. Okay. This is the Why Me Project podcast. And so I'm sure you do with a lot of people sharing about their why me moments. So you reflecting on your life, can you think of a moment that you thought, why me? Oh, every day of my life. I'm such a (laughs) whiny baby. man. (laughs) Yeah, Are you kidding me? Um, Gosh, I could probably, I should probably get that. Should be my next tattoo is why me, right? Sponsored um, by? Sponsored yeah. by, why me? <laughs> um, I don't know how to do this without going pretty dark, but it was the... Um, Go as dark as you need to. M- my yeah. wife was a uh, really brilliant... Um, she was Dr. Deloney long before me. She was a brilliant um, researcher and a professor. She, she I, I, don't really, I, I don't even know what she did. She was so smart, but she taught teachers how to teach kids how to reach. She's a literacy person. And um, one season, she's like, hey, I think I want to stop doing this. I want to go home and I want to have a bunch of kids. And it was such a departure. She's a strong, feminist, powerful woman. She's like, I, I want to do this. I want to take this energy and this excitement and this stuff that I've learned. And um, I was like, man, all in hundred percent, let's do this. And then we got home and had miscarriage number one. And then we had miscarriage number two. And then we had, she had an ectopic pregnancy that ruptured and she's an old West Texas farm girl. And she circled the wagon. She's like, nope. And she almost died in our living room. And so it was that season of, um, dude, we had a plan and this is supposed to work out as we drew it up. And suddenly I'm married to the smartest, most incredible person I know. And she's a shell of who she was. Like her identity was gone. All right. And there was this, it was just, and I remember sitting there going, why? Like what, what is being solved cosmically by this happening to the most amazing, she'd be the best mother on planet earth. Um, no offense. Right. But yeah, but, it's okay. I'm uh, mediocre at best. You'd, I be, know. you'd be, you'd be a, a second place for sure. Um, but like, why, like why? Right. And we all realize how futile that question actually is. Um, and how self-centric that question is. But I, that, that I remember sitting down asking like, what's, what's the point of this? This is stupid. Right. And that's, of course, me as a dean of students when three students come in and like, oh, my gosh, I'm accidentally pregnant. And you're like, oh, really? Yeah. Thanks for that. Right. Accidentally. So how did that happen? That, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But it's it's that it's that. Why? Why us? Why? Why us? Why me? Why? Why this now? Yeah. Why her? Why the why that? So that's that probably the last one I can come off the top of my head. Yeah. How did you get out of that? Um, 
I think a couple of different things. I think you, you open your hands up. I think you can respond to that by, by really constricting and trying to solve every variable then, and your body just collapses on itself. Or you step back and realize I'm not the center of the universe. Then the question, why me is not instructive, doesn't help. Um, the question open up is how can I love her? How can she then be open to, okay, then what is next? And you end up seeing a lot of beauty and a lot of blessings right in front of you that you missed because you were too busy looking at your architectural plans of what's coming next. And that's just not what was lined up for you. Um, and then I think the other piece that's really instructive is when you enter a season of grief, running from that black hole or running from that discomfort or even to go with anxiety. The worst part about anxiety is when you avoid the thing you're anxious about, whether it's a social situation, a hard conversation, your body wins. It got what it wanted. And that is for that thing to not have hurt you. And so it actually reinforces, it makes anxiety stronger. And so the only way is to head into grief. And that means to head into grief, I got to make sure I got friends. I got to make sure my marriage is good. I got to make sure I'm eating right. And I got to make sure in those days I can't get out of bed. Um, okay, I'm going to give myself some grace. And I'm going to give it a go tomorrow. And the, the picture is you just open your hands up and then you wake up and you're six months down the road and you your friend calls and says, hey, I don't know how to tell you this, but we're pregnant. And you find your first impulse is joy. And you're mm. like, oh, there it is. Right. And um, then you look for ways to find beauty. And I think that's the path back is looking for beautiful stuff instead of looking for all the dark stuff. That's good. You can uh, find his shows on the YouTube. He's not just a YouTube guy. You can also hear him every once in a while uh, with Mr. <laughs> Dave Ramsey. Uh, despite the fact that your wife says it's not a good idea, I still think I need a mini Deloney homie uh, at John Deloney on the socials. My friend, I uh, appreciate you so much for taking some time and sharing your heart. Before we logged on, thanks for making fun of the fact that I can't grow any facial hair. That that, that hurt. That hurt. <laughs> You're a beautiful bearded man, and uh, it's not happening for me. See, the problem is, and we say this a lot, is that we don't have enough time. And so yeah. you can't dive into the intricacies of an individual going down certain avenues of their life. Yeah, this one probably should have been an hour or two. Uh, I think we do take that road trip. Let's go to Nashville. Let's hang out. And this is an honest question, Holly. When somebody yeah. offers to have us come see them, to visit them, yeah. how much of this, How what percentage is serious? What percentage is them just being nice? I think we should start taking up people and their offers and then we can do like an actual A-B test and see <laughs> were they serious or uh, or were they just saying the nice thing because we're in Canada and let's face it, who can afford to travel these days? <laughs> who's who's going to come and visit us? But So I'm going to go through every episode we've had, 330 plus episodes. Okay. I'm going to find every single person who's invited us. I'm going to put a map and we're going to go on a road trip and yes. we're going to see just how serious they were. Okay, I actually love this idea. Let's do this. <laughs> YB Project 2025 is going on a road trip and we're coming to your house. Yes. John will be the first stop because it's Nashville yeah. and there's been quite a few uh, yeah. Nashvillians. Is that what they're called? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're Nashville. Here we come. So when security stops us at the gate and says no, then we'll head out to like Dan Brevness. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> So make sure you uh, download, subscribe, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your social media stuff, because follow us on there. And that's where we tell you, hey, new episode available. Yeah, exactly. And of course, you can read more at faithstrongtoday.com. Yeah.